Greetings, rulers. For our 22nd night rule, we were very happy to welcome back comedian and actor Ethan Hirschfeld for a fresh and fun conversation. Today's song is Firecracker by YMO. And uh, without any further ado, this is Night Rule. necessarily need to be a hockey fan by birthright it's uh it's like right. one of those um completely pointless obsessions that i that i decided to take on myself you know wasn't cool. wasn't really given to me yeah yeah i have a friend who's like deeply into hockey he, he was a a recreational hockey player on a bunch of teams and then his kids are now really into it and uh so i'm gonna send him a link to your hockey podcast what's it called it's called uh, Handkerchief Dynasty, um, which is a, basically the idea is that the, the, we cheer for the Edmonton Oilers and it's uh, we're either crying tears of pain and sorrow or tears of joy, mostly sorrow. But lately it's turned around a little bit. Handkerchief uh, Dynasty. Podcast about hockey. Okay, this is going to my friend. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and that's um, let's just plug it for everyone else too. That's on all the podcast platforms. That's on YouTube now if you want to see the sexual, sexually visual edition is what we're calling it. Um, Handkerchief Dynasty. Handkerchief Dynasty. Tune in now. Handkerchief Dynasty. Available <laughs> wherever fine podcasts are sold. That actually sounds... That's very close to our actual intro. Because, oh. like, my friend my friend did, like, this incredible impression of the old PA announcer who, like, was there, oh. did that job for, like, 30 years, who actually had on the show as well. But it's like, you're listening to the number one Oilers podcast, Handkerchief right. Dynasty. Two minutes for interference. Wow. Well, that's good. Isn't that oh, good? Yeah. Do you, do you watch, do you, like, do you, are you aware of hockey? I feel like people in the Eastern and like a little bit more of like the Midwestern United States are like somewhat aware of hockey. And then everyone else like don't have no idea what it is. I never, I was never a big hockey fan. Um, but uh, I skated on weekends as a kid and then played a little bit of intramural hockey in college. So I'm, I'm not a big hockey fan, but two of my friends are wild hockey fans, especially that one who, who plays. He, he's in L.A., but he, he grew up near D.C., so it's all about the Capitals for him. Totally, um, totally. He, they have a great team. Yeah, and he watches them and I think, you know, suffers greatly and, like, he's on the edge of his seat, like a serious, mm. a serious fan. Suffering oh, yes. greatly is a big part of being a hockey fan. There's a lot of suffering involved. Right. That's what it seems like. And then, but the Oilers, so that was Gretzky all those years. Gretzky, Messier, yeah, back oh. in uh, the 80s. And oh, I think they Messier, won their last cup in like 91. Was Messier also a Ranger? Yeah, he played for the Rangers. Yeah. Okay, there's, yeah. A, there's a great line. Do you ever watch that show Nurse Jackie? There's a great line where she jokes about, they're talking about hockey and she says, oh, I still have dreams of Messier. <laughs> mm. That's funny. Yeah. yeah, I I only know those. I know the name Messier because of that other friend of mine who was a big Rangers fan. Mm. Totally. That's one thing I like about hockey as well is it has the best names of any sports. Yeah, because um, of the French, right? The French, and then there's a lot of Finnish players. Um, like oh, there's yeah. a guy, there's a guy in that league right now called Kotiemi. Kakaniemi. Yeah. There's uh, we've got Miko Koskinen as our goalie. There's a lot of Swedish players. 
um, a lot of Russian players. I've decided Evgeny is one of my all-time favorite names. There's just oh, something yeah. about the name Evgeny. Oh yeah, that that friend of mine in LA, his son was super into that one Russian guy who was just the the superstar of all superstars for a few years. Either Ovechkin or Malkin, Evgeny Malkin Ovechkin. or Alexander. Yeah, Ovechkin. No, Ovechkin's Ovechkin. great because he's like <laughs> Ovechkin. It was actually, all Ovechkin. That was very nice. I love Ovechkin because he's actually the thing about one thing that kind of sucks about hockey is they the players always give extremely uh, paint by number answers and they're they're coached very very extensively so it's, so it's oh. just like yeah you know it's uh, I got to support the team and you know you do the best you can play hard blah 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 it's like the same generic answers but Ovechkin and some of the other Russian players are just like say the craziest stuff and they're like they have so much joie de vivre they just enjoy it so much they're not like buttoned down yeah and they didn't um, get that coaching about how they're supposed to talk to the press yeah yeah which is great um but why don't we start night rule proper here welcome to night rule ladies and gentlemen i'm sure you can tell by his voice but the the lovely night rule you're listening to night rule night rule available (laughs) where all fine podcasts (laughs) only fine podcasts we're only in the boutique podcast uh app stores you know it's like you need there's like there's like a doorman you need to complete a credit check yeah, I had to compl- I had to complete a credit check today for a job interview. Do you think Do you think you should the employer should ask for a credit check when um, when you're when you're applying for something? Is that legit Sorry. or is it more like, look, Sorry. my credit would be better if I had a job? Yeah, that's actually that's funny. Would would uh, would this job involve you handling cash? I guess that's part of why they want to know your credit. <laughs> no, not not at all. Because <laughs> if you're like if you're deeply in debt, then they're going to worry. They want to see your credit check. I guess who the hell knows. Yeah. Do they do a background check also? Yeah, yeah, criminal record check. So they're going to find out about all the misdemeanor offenses, um, uh-huh. you know, the higher crimes and felonies. What, 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 what constitute high crimes? Is that crimes you complete when you're when you're high on pot? Yes. I've definitely or, contributed. I've done a few of those. Or above the fifteenth floor of a building. Right. Right. On an airplane. What is the uh, what kind of job? Can I ask you? I'm sorry, I shouldn't be doing the interviewing, but I'm. Curious. No, it's okay. It's uh, in the software industry, virtual lingerie. Mostly I've been like a manager. It's funny actually, because, you know, in like a political and like podcast realm, being in middle management is something that gets talked a lot about and it's considered a lot. And I'm, I'm technically kind of a middle manager, but I try and be one that resists the ring of evil and actually tries to make people's lives better instead of just coming down on them like a ton of bricks. Right. I guess the middle guy, he's just there being pushed from above to be pushy with the people below him. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's right, well, funny I hope, too. I hope you get it, and I hope that they uh, they pay you handsomely. I'm hoping. I'm hoping they pay me handsomely. I haven't been paid handsomely in a while, and to be honest, I'm just really hoping for a job, like a salary. I want. I want compensation that's commensurate with my ability to use the word commensurate in a sentence. You know, I that's, haven't achieved that yet. Like, <laughs> that's a good. That's a good. That's a good goal in life. I think so too. You know, if nothing else, you can just confuse people. And this is actually, this is something I've been thinking about too, vis-a-vis podcasting and whatnot. Like I have this theory that people, or at least a proportion of people are actually attracted to those that use fancy, like five, $10, $20 words, because it's an indication that this person has some kind of like intellectual symbolism or, or technology that's like more precise or more interesting or like a cut above, like, cause some of my friends hate my guts. Cause they're like, dude, you just use that word to make me feel like an idiot. And I'm like, no, oh. this is how I talk. You know, that is a, that is a, that is a thing I think about as a, as like a former English major. And I, I even tutored kids a long time ago. Some of them. Oh, wow. Like, at like standardized tests. So it was all mm. about the vocab. 
And sometimes it's fun to break out a word, but sometimes I'm self-conscious. Like, am I being a dick just by using this word when there's another word that would serve just as well? Like, am I trying to, you know, just show off? On the other hand, even worse than, than that uh, would be saying the fancy word and then instantly defining it. Oh my God. Oh, seriously, have you ever done that? I would kill you with my bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've had girlfriends want to murder me with their bare hands for that too. They're just like, yeah, it's like being a double dick because you were a dick for using that word and then a dick for assuming that the other person doesn't know what it means. So, that's so like, what's word. like, what's the most dickish? Like, if you if you were if you were trying to be a dick, let's let's just play a little game here. Let's try yeah. and be dicks to each other by using like fancy terminology. Um, it's actually kind of hard to do on command, though. No, I have my one of my favorite words is ultra crepidarian. Ultra Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to ask what that means. No, no, no. It's a it's a ridiculous word that no one uses, but it 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 refers to someone who speaks about a subject as though they know a lot about it, but they actually don't know anything about it. So it's a it's someone just being phony, ultra crepidarian, which is we do it all the time. But um yeah, I, like that's that's that. a scary word for me because that actually any word that perfectly describes my my lot in life really freaks me out. So what yeah. it's ultra crepidarian. Crepidarian. Wow. Apparently, apparently it comes from this uh, word in Latin for the sole, the sole of your shoe or the, or a sandal, and it literally referred to a sandal maker who pretends to know how to make shoes. Wow. So he's just a sandal maker, but now he thinks, what do you think? You know how to make shoes? So he's ultra crepidarian. See, I've come full circle on it now because at first I was like, wow, what a raging asshole for using this word. But now that we're talking about the philology, again, a fancy yeah. word, it's yeah. very, it's always very interesting because I find like the meaning embedded in the history of the word is yeah. oftentimes like as fascinating as the word itself. You Let know? me ask you something. Is philology, I thought it was etymology. I got to look up philology. Uh, they're, they're similar. Like um, I think etymology is more to do with um, grammar and like the dictionary definition maybe, but philology is like the origin, if I'm not mistaken of the word, the word origin. Oh, okay. Well, we're getting philology as the branch or knowledge that deals with the structure, historical development and relationships of a language or languages. And etymology, yeah, the... Uh, where it comes from. You know what? You say philology. I say etymology. I say lexicon. I mean, we're, we're a couple of pretentious, very intelligent guys. The other thing is, though, maybe I'm just using fancy words because it's like a mating thing. Like I'm trying to express, like they say the same thing about being uh, humorous. Like humor is attractive to the opposite sex because it's a sign of oh, intelligence. Yeah. Maybe I just need to find people, women that are that have a slightly worse vocabulary than me so they can be impressed by my fancy words, maybe. I don't know. That's fine. It's like I a sense thing. of humor, like in, in dating or in romance, a sense of humor is most effective if you're trying to date a clown. <laughs> like if you're trying to date a civilian, it's less critical, but. Yeah, well, especially if they only do like broad physical comedy and yours yours are more like kind of like, you know, like a uh, very intelligent kind of witticisms, yeah. you know? You want, yeah, you want the best uh, of both worlds. Have you ever dated a clown? I mean, like not figuratively, but literally. Yeah, I've certainly I dated a few yeah. figuratively. I did date a woman about 30 years ago who was a, a circus. Uh, she was a juggler. So she was a juggler. Cirque du Soleil, I'm guessing? It wasn't Cirque du Soleil. Um, <laughs> but um, she was a juggler, but she was not a, a professional clown. I do have a friend who's a professional clown. Uh, when, they, when, it's, when it's done well, it's insane. There was actually... Um, of, this is going to sound like a total oxymoron, but growing up in Edmonton, there's a big theater community there, and there was a 
quite a well-known like local pair of people. They, I think they were called Mump and Smoot. And I saw them a few times. They would do a show kind of every year at the big Fringe Festival and on other shows. And when you see someone do clowning like exceptionally well, it's mm-hmm. just completely mind blowing. Like it's yeah. like, it's like you, all the, everything in your mind about like TV clowns and, you know, Stephen King's It and your whole perception of like what clowning is just get completely blown out the window with like the like sheer kind of brilliance of the physical comedy and the mime and the characterizations. It's like, yeah. I don't know if you know Bill Irwin. Do you know that? That, that clown vaguely rings a bell and clown he's i know that clown yeah he had a he had a broadway show he also was in um waiting for godot okay uh, sure you might you might recognize him, his face so yeah actor clown and comedian incredible uh worth looking at bill Irwin. Mm. So you're about your. Were you traveling recently? Were you in Arizona? That's why I wasn't sure about your time zone. Did you move? Or are you still? You're still in New York, right? No, we're we're in um, we're in Massachusetts. Been here mm. mostly since March. Okay. But in um, in October, that was when I was in Atlanta. You guys are getting this cold snap up there. I'm guessing, right? Like it's. Yes, it's beautiful. It's very. Uh, here you can see. Um, oh, nice. There's a lot of snow and uh, and it's icy and. Uh, it's going to be going on for a few more days. So, mm. yeah, that's exciting. And my main um, activity is once a day, I go and jump in the bay. The, the water is very cold. Really? No yeah. shit. Wow. No so shit. you're like a, you're like a polar bear swim type. It's that kind of thing. And I, I do it for just a few minutes. And of course, I'm, within a few minutes of the, of that dip, I'm under a hot shower. So, but I, I find it, you know, it's invigorating and it's, um, the other day I thought I wasn't going to go because I, it was so windy and it was, um, I went twice to the beach and then couldn't do it. And then I was in a real funk. And then when I got in and did it, even though it was just for like a minute or two, then my day turned around. So I found it's mm. good for my, for my mental state. Well, it's, a, it's supposed to be extremely good for your mood. Like I even find that if I do like whatever they call it, the Wim Hof method in the shower where you switch between cold and hot. I did a similar thing where I jumped in the ocean every day um, in like the fall, maybe like uh, the year before last. And yeah, it's like even even on the days where you're like, am I really going to do this? This is really cold. No, like your mood in- invariably improves by like a factor yeah. of like three right afterwards. Yeah, it's very, uh, I, part of that is 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 probably just for me, part of it is, knowing okay i did this thing that i didn't want to do and i had some discipline so that feels good the other thing is just i think the actual effect it has on you physically of, of getting submerged in very cold water for a few mm. minutes yeah i know from my uh my degree at joe rogan university that uh, heat and, and cold shock proteins are what gets will get released in those instances and that's they have incredible health benefits for like anti-inflammation and stuff i think oh, that's a big part yeah. of it yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm well. I'm well versed in all manner of uh, learned subjects. Um, and are you? Are you? You're just chilling out. Besides that, that sounds quite nice. I should come up there for a visit. If I, but I can't cross the border, unfortunately. Yeah, once we're all vaccinated. Yeah. It's a date. Um, yeah. So doing that, and then doing my daily. I have a show on Instagram, live. Mm-hmm. Sometimes on Facebook Live, but daily weekdays at noon, I interview artists and actors and that kind of thing. And then Thursday nights, I do that David Feldman show, which has been really fun. Which for is sure. Not. Yeah. And then Monday nights, I've been doing the Feldman show also for a few weeks with this comedian, Renan Hirschberg. So I've been going on a few times a week. Mm. Um, and then I'm doing, I've been doing some auditions for different uh, 
Oh, awesome. TV and film stuff. And uh, occasionally I get one of those. And I, I've done some voiceover jobs. Uh, so you seem you seem okay. ideally suited to voiceover for me. Well, thanks. I, yeah. I'd like to, like a lot of people, I'd like to do more of that. It's very fun. And I find it like, uh, you know, it, it's less taxing. You don't have to go anywhere. You can literally phone it in. Yeah, that's what I did. In fact, I, I recorded some voiceover for a TV show called Emergency Call on ABC TV. And Emergency Call, the episodes are going to be coming out soon. And for that one, you literally record it into your phone because they get actors to recreate the emergency phone calls. Yeah, yeah. I remember we talked about this last time and, and we we're oh. talking about like the acting challenge of like having to do a 911 call when like you're the murderer, you know, you're like, my wife, oh, oh my God, a, no, no. <laughs> we I talked had, like two months ago, dude, don't worry about it. <laughs> I had the vague fear as I started talking, like I'm repeating myself, but eh. I'm pretty sure about 80% of all podcast podcast content is is retreading uh, established uh, it's safer, it's safer <laughs> established stuff. I got to watch that show. Um I've been watching actually Making a Murderer finally. I finally caught up to that, oh. that very big popular Netflix show. Did you ever watch that one? I didn't. I, I kept hearing about it. Uh, yeah, because it was yeah. big news for a while. It was like this guy in Wisconsin who was wrongly convicted of rape and like went to jail for like 18 years, sued oh, wow. the county. And then they basically the filmmaker is is arguing that they framed him for murder so they wouldn't have to pay out the settlement like the day after their depositions. But it makes it has me thinking like, I don't know. Like, I'm not. I'm not necessarily like. I think it's important to be critical of like all our institutions and law enforcement, and you know, everyone needs to be held accountable. But in a weird way, like, I wonder if like a documentary filmmaker trying to make a name for themselves are like the best kind of interlocutor of is that is that the right word <laughs> of like the justice system? <laughs> you know, I don't even know what it means. So who? No one else will, right? It's like if I'm if I'm trying to make a shocking documentary, and I'm like I'm I'm putting all this stuff in it saying, oh, you know, I think these cops are corrupt. It's like, is that really, is that really helping the cause of like criminal justice reform or like like stamping out corruption? I'm not sure. It seems like it just sensationalizes it to me a little bit. Oh, you know, I wish I could say something about it. I haven't seen it, but now I'm gonna see it. Yeah, it's- uh, The making it's... of a murderer. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds kind of like a behind the scenes type thing, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, when I was looking at the murder weapons, I really wanted to, you know, I wanted people to have, uh, I wanted a positive, optimistic kind of feel to the murder weapons. So that's why yeah. we're here today. We're looking at them, we're deciding. Yeah, and choosing the wardrobe for the mugshot. Maybe it could be like a reality show with like, uh, like elimination style, you know? So like, I, I don't know if the contestants get murdered by the other contestants along the way. Mm. This I could be like, like good for... I'm, yeah, I'm going to encourage you to keep brainstorming that. Yeah, I think that'll work well once we're in the kind of like Running Man era of television where it's just all like pure barbarity. You remember Running Man? It's the so Schwarzenegger one where it's like a game show in the future where they're killing each other. Yeah, I did some uh, some voice in a movie called The Purge. Do you know those movies? The Purge? Oh, sure. Yeah, I've heard of those. Yeah. Yeah, Quite so well there known. it's similar because it's just one day a year when all laws are off so you can just do what you want. And invariably, it turns out what people want to do is just kill each other. <laughs> so apparently, I, the movie, the concept sounds absurd, but the movies are very popular. I think Ethan Hawke is in the first one, right? Is that right? Yeah, I'm not mistaken. Oh. Um, then they've made a bunch, and it's kind of become part of the zeitgeist too. Because I remember people were talking about, you know, like uh, defund the police and whatnot. And they're like, "Oh, are we gonna are we gonna end up in a purge type scenario?" I see. It could just be because we actually filter like almost, I'm, and I certainly do this, I filter almost everything through the reality of like TV and film as like reference points. 
you know? So yeah. like, if I don't, if I don't have, that's a, in a weird way, I kind of want to make a movie about like a futuristic socialist paradise, just so it's in people's imaginations. Because right now, like what we need, like, let's say, let's say we make, we make a movie about a social democratic United States in the year 2050 and we call it uh, the great society. And then it comes right. out. And then afterwards, when people need a shorthand for talking about the things they want to do, they'll be like, it'll, it'll be kind of like that one episode of Seinfeld or, you know, that movie, The Great Society, you know? Yeah. Oh, 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 I feel like that's the only way to kind of like uh, penetrate the, the intellectual bubble that we to have. have a, you have to have a blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. You need I something like that. Idea. Yeah. Well, I'm going to work. I'm going to work on that screenplay right now. So well, let me ask you, like talking about voice acting a little bit, like, do you change your approach for voice acting or do you just try, do you try and kind of apply a lot of the same stuff you do normally for preparing for like a role? Or is it just kind of like a, like a condensed version? Um, no, I think it's the same. Um, and and um, <clears throat> like, I just did some voices for a podcast called the Last Archive. The Last Archive is uh, Jill Lepore's uh, thing about history and about mm -hmm. truth. Um, and so she has sort of historical reenactments. Oh, cool. So I had, like I had to be Socrates in one scene. Seriously? Yeah. You kind of look a little bit like Socrates, a little more handsome though. He's a notoriously oh. ugly man. Oh well, well, I it's a to, similar but, nose. I don't know. How, I don't know how I intended it but, either. Sorry. <laughs> no, I appreciate that, but um, but no, this is just voice. So it's all it was just makeup of, of you know, it didn't need an accent. But mm. um, and then there was like the within that podcast, there's also uh, Clarence Darrow and the Scopes Monkey Trial. Wow. So, and and some of these people and some some poets from a hundred years ago, and there are actual recordings of these people. So Socrates, right. not but. So part of that job was just to study the the audio of these people and do uh, something of an impersonation of them. Uh, I'd love yeah. to. That that sounds great. I'd love to see that. When's that coming out? Do yeah. you know? Yeah, or is it already uh, out? In April. It's called uh, the Last Archive, and you can listen. Mm. You can listen to season one already. I'm not on that, but it's it, it's really good. But here's what I wanted to say about the approach. My approach is very simple with all of these acting things, which is it becomes about about the text. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't do the maybe psychological deep dive. Mm. Uh, I try yeah. to let, I try to let the text and the words um, guide me. Totally, yeah. Like you're, you're, you're trying to formulate kind of an interpretation of the text, and then, and then express that with your performance, kind of like it's like, yeah. Yeah, and and just to imagine myself, it's really just an imaginative leap. The whole thing, just imagine myself into that situation and yeah get it get it reality through that imaginative leap I, mm. I try to avoid i don't i don't i'm not attracted to technique uh mm. when it comes to when it comes to acting mm. i know a mm. lot of people do and they're great actors they're really good actors who do it uh both ways but my approach is to just kind of wing it well, I mean, I'm sure you're not winging it. I'm sure you, you're prepared, but we talked about this a little bit last time too. It's like you, you prepare as much as you can and then and then you kind of have to just like jump in feet first type thing, you know? Oh yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, I think you're, I think you're a really great actor, Ethan, just in case that's not clear. So sorry, I'm going to have to, I'm repeating myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to cast you in something where, cause we talked oh. about doing like a, like a, a, 
a production of uh, Ibsen's Enemy of the People in, in a 1970s discotheque. But it's interesting that you're doing the historical reenactment stuff because, like, I don't know if you watch much Ken Burns, but I, it's kind of one of I don't know why it's a guilty pleasure, maybe because it's a, yeah. I'm a Bolshevik, but I do love a lot of Ken Burns movies, like a lot. And I recently watched his, um, he did a multi part one called The Roosevelt's An Intimate History. Uh-huh. Um, and it goes into yeah, Eleanor. I exactly. Well, dearest Eleanor, um, yeah. When it, it, there's a temptation to, when I think Ken Burns, I just, you know, there was that great SNL sketch about the uh, the Civil War, those those guys writing the letters home. Oh, I kind of remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that stuff. Um, no, but I totally get where you're coming from, and like, <laughs> it's legit. It's a legit thing. But um, I remember I watched that one and. I was really impressed by the voice acting in that, and and mm-hmm. uh, the, the voice for Eleanor Roosevelt, I couldn't I couldn't identify it at first. You know, I could kind of identify some of them, and then mm-hmm. I was like, well, who is this person doing Eleanor Roosevelt? Because a, I, I'm like in love with Eleanor Roosevelt right now. Like yeah. this voice just makes me I'm I'm gushing with like admiration and love for this person uh-huh. that I don't know, and this person is just reading someone else's words, and then I realize it's fucking Meryl Streep. I'm like, obviously, wow. there you go. Yeah, she does a great job. Oh my god. Okay, yeah. I gotta listen to that. Yeah, and then um, the the and the narration too. The Keith David does a lot of the narration. I love his Mark Twain documentary. That documentary almost changed my life. Almost changed my life. I decided I wouldn't let it, but it almost did. Yeah. And then um, wow. Also, I love you know Civil War. I liked a lot. The the Jack Johnson documentary is also great. Huh. Un- I don't know any blackness. Of it's called. Um, uh, yeah, I have some gaping holes in my documentary watching. I got to take care of that. I mean, I think um, the the voice acting in in all of or the voice acting as well as the narration and all of those, I would say, is like top top tier in my view. Yeah, to be it's, honest, it's, it's something not, I want to get into. Yeah, you should. It's a uh, it's an impressive thing when it's done well. I've done some of that, and then I'll listen back and say, like, I can hear where it's not exactly how I'd want it to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I I yeah. know I do it to a certain degree, but then you can hear the difference with like the super. Mm. Um, who's that guy? Is it Coyote? Peter Coyote? Who Peter knows? Coyote, another great. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have one where a friend of mine, he was a a bush pilot in uh, in in Gabon in in West Africa. He had a little plane and he would fly around to try to keep the poachers under control and to photograph the animals and make sure they were doing okay. Mm. Uh, and so then he did a documentary about it and I did the narration on it. And I think I have it on my website and there are things about it. I like and the things about where I'm just not buying it. So it's, yeah. it's one of those things where you, it really is interesting because you think it's just, it's a simple thing, but it's, it really isn't. No, no, it's not. And I think that probably is vexing for people that are trying to get into it. Like, yeah. Um, Cause like, it's, it's kind of almost hard. Like when I'm listening to someone do narration or voiceover that I really like, it's kind of difficult to like piece it together and then just then kind of delineate the different aspects that you like or what you like about it. You're just like something about what they're doing is great. And I can't yeah. exactly figure it out. Sometimes I think it's just speaking a little slower, enunciating really well. Sometimes it's characterizations. Like I also have been really into this um, anime that's just got on Netflix recently. It's like taking Japan by storm and i'm not surprised because it's fucking unbelievably good um but like the voice acting in that you like listen to the japanese voice actors and i always do this because it's always preferable and um they have like all kinds of like prestigious long uh long existing schools for voice acting in japan 
that just don't exist anywhere else. And when you listen to the English voice actors, they're clearly just doing kind of an impression of the Japanese performance. Oh, yeah. But it's like, uh, it's just, I can't, I can't listen to it for longer than five seconds before just wanted to jump out a window. I got really into, uh, and I've never been into it before, but last fall I was watching a lot of episodes. <laughs> Again, I might've told you about this, but it was called Death Notice. It's a Japanese. Oh, yeah, Death, had... Death Note, yeah. Death Note, Death Note. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's awesome, wow. Yeah, I love Death Note. We were just and watching some of that. The acting is, yeah, the voice acting, it's just great. It really is great. Yeah. And the, that's so well plotted too. Like I just love the yeah. uh, the kind of pot. Like you really, um, we talked about it with uh, the dissident peasant as well. Because like you think it's going to be this kind of morality tale where the main character is tortured about this power to kill people and what he's going to do. But it's like no, he's like I'm going to become a god. That's uh, fine. It's like right. wow. Yeah, it's, um, the, the writing is it, it is super imaginative. I got to keep going with that. I like that a lot. Yeah, you should watch um, the show I'm really into right now. is called Demon Slayer. Um, oh. And it's uh, it's pretty simple setup, you know. The guy's a demon slayer, but like, I, I it's made me cry. I don't know, like ten different times. And like, the art is just unbelievably beautiful, and the voice acting in that is just incredible. The whole world building, the mythology, um, huh. like you think it's I, like I oh, this is a show. I hope that when you post this episode of your podcast, you also post a reading and a watching list along with it, because. You've Maybe mentioned about now I want to watch. I hope you do that. That's a good idea. I'm glad you said that because I will um, yeah. for sure. Yeah, because um, I definitely want to recommend those Ken Burns documentaries too. Like I, yeah. I know he's got a style that is kind of easy to like not not feel super excited about. But um, when I'm it's all like it's what I want to watch on like a Saturday, you know, mm -hmm. like if I want I want to watch my hardcore history, you know, stuff that's like really deep and complicated and, and has a lot of nuance Monday to Friday. That's fine. But then on Saturday, I want to kick back with a tea and just uh -huh. listen to a Hollywood actor reading a love letter from someone a hundred years ago. I, I support you in that, in that approach. I, I support, I, I, uh, I approve of your weekly schedule. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say about Demon Slayer is it's, it's uh, cause my, one of my all time favorite films was the previous number one film in Japan of all time, Shin Godzilla. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I'll add that to the list because that's incredible. Like it's, I, I I honestly like don't really give a shit about any Godzilla movies. I'm not really a Godzilla guy, but that movie is um, both a brilliant action movie and also just like, I, I think it's like a brilliant satire as well um, of like huh. government bureaucracy and whatnot. Um, but yeah, Demon Slayer overtook it as the number one film, number one grossing film of all time in Japan. And this is like during a pandemic when a lot of theaters were closed. So it goes to show like, wow. How like people have lost their shit for that show and with rights because it's it's fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah, Isaac recommends. I was also thinking I should branch out and try doing like uh because in my last the last episode that got released, I did like kind of a roundtable style. Um it was actually like a little bit disruptive because I <laughs> I just joined um the office hours conversations from Feldman show. Um, caught whoever was on there and said, "Hey guys, you know what? Do you mind if I record this and we'll I'll, we'll release it as a as a roundtable episode?" Yeah. Um, I think maybe some. I'm hoping no one got really bothered. I I asked many times, so they had lots of chances to chime in. But um, like, uh, what was I hope you have a good oh, yeah, in that in that I was uh, reading some poetry by this uh, 15th century Indian poet called uh, Kabir. It's a very famous, kind of mystical poet. And I really enjoy reading stuff, like especially things that I'm personally really invested in. So I might I might do a third podcast where I just like read things and I'll call it like, I don't know, Isaac Reads or something. 
I, I think that's a great idea. Okay. There was a poet um, early on in the pandemic for the first several months, she was reading every day. And I, I like that a lot. Mm. Yeah, because I feel like with poetry, it's like, you know, 99.999% of it is completely unnecessary and unneeded. But that little bit that is good is actually like 100 times better than you'd expect because it's the cream that rose to the top. Yeah. Hey, I'm looking up Kabir. Uh, and it's weird because one of his biographies says he lived from 1440 till 1518, which would make him 78, which is a nice long life. Mm. But the other one has him living from 1398 to 1518. <laughs> wow. Which would make him 120. That's which, like Old Testament style. But 120 back then, that would be like living to 400 right now. People That's, did live to 100. It's like there's there's records of it. I mean, rarely. I mean, it's yeah. shocking because you just figure everyone, you know, gets a cut on their knee at age like 25 and like that's yeah. it. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that, how these days um, the outlier, like if you if you compared the average age that people live to the longest, like, like let's say um, the average is like nowadays, let's say the average man lives to 75. Mm -hmm. And and the longest life is like uh, let's say 115. Mm -hmm. So go with me on this. So that's like um, that's like 40 years longer than the average. So the oldest guy is living 40. So back in the day when the average was 35, you would expect the oldest to only live to 75 because he's just going to live 40 years longer than the average. But in fact, no, they used to live to like 100, even though the average was. So they used to triple the average. That's what I'm saying. There was a guy back in the day in the 1300s who tripled the average lifespan. So if someone now could triple the average lifespan, that guy would be living to 200. That's what I was trying mm. to say. That's where we're headed, really. I mean, if you think about really? it, I mean, it seems, right. it seems possible. Again, there was that Justin Timberlake movie, can't remember what it's called. I think it was called In Time. You know, uh -huh. again, movie reference. Uh, I mean, that being said, <laughs> I might be good after like 110 years, I think. I think at that point, I'd be like, you know what? I, I put some good numbers up. You know, yeah. it's time to, re time, to re time to retire while I still while I still have a little bit of magic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to overstay. I, I did see a thing about a, a nun in France uh, in the news yesterday. She survived COVID. She's she's 117. Wow. 117, and she survived COVID. And here's the most heroic thing about this nun. You should look up this story. <laughs> Don't give me the vaccine. Give it to someone who needs it. Wow. She didn't consider she thought of herself as healthy and strong and give it to someone. I mean, that was amazing. So that's like you could almost say, like, what's that adjective? That's almost like a, a Christian thing to do, almost. I'm a little almost, shocked. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's like um, uh <laughs> Saintly. Saintly, yeah. Um, what do you think of what do you think about what's going on with with all that right now? Like, how's it looking where you are? Like, it seems like it seems like the vaccine supply has kind of like hit a bump in the road, and everyone's kind of losing their shit a little bit. We're all terrified about variants, but things yeah. in Vancouver have, have quieted down a little bit. I think hospitalizations hospitalizations have gone down quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think um, it's gonna. It, it's going slowly and a little chaotically, but I did hear of a rule that just got passed here, which I thought was really smart, which was a plus one rule. This sounds like a joke, but it's not. But anyone over 75 who goes and gets the vaccine, they can bring someone with them and give them, 
they get a shot also. And the, the rationale is that a lot of people don't have a way to get to the clinic to get the mm -hmm. shot. So if you get an Uber driver to take you, then that Uber driver can get the, can get the shot also. So it, right. it sort of incentivizes people to take older people to the clinic. That's um, good. Yeah. Really smart. That's, I feel like, you know, I, my feeling was that I understand why they would make a, a priority list of ages and all that. But on the other hand, I heard the argument that what we should be doing is just getting as many doses into as many people as possible, um, you know, to, to outrun, to should, outrun should, these variants. Just, should just, we administer like a vocabulary test, do you think, though, just to make sure they know they have like a good vocabulary before? Um, yeah, no, no. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> that would be, that would be ultra crepidarian. No, that would be ultra. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, it's funny. I had this funny moment the other day. Cause I'm, I'm the type of person that's pretty, and I'm sure it'll get me killed if I do it at the wrong time somewhere, but I'm very friendly in public. Like I, I'm not afraid to kind of just like, if I'm in line, you know, at the grocery store, you know, strike up a little like random conversation with someone about something um, mm -hmm. or in the elevator. But obviously like that's, that's gone way down. But I, I noticed the other day, I finally did strike up chat with someone in the elevator where we were looking at the video screen advertisements and it was like, oh, you know, BC records 1500 new COVID deaths. And then there was, an, uh, then the other half of the screen was an advertisement for internet. And I just looked at him, I said, you know, I don't know what to be more worried about, you know, the COVID deaths or the fact that I may be paying too much for internet. And it was so such a relief to get to actually just fucking tell a joke in public for the first yeah. time in like 16 months. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I was saying that to a friend recently. The thing I miss the most is just chatting with strangers. I just really like meeting strangers. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's gone for, for the time being. Yeah, yeah, we'll get it back. I mean, I, I think as long as I as long as I maintain that policy around my uh, my kind of home base, that'll be better than doing it, you know, in like guadalajara or some country i've never been to and i'm just randomly talk to some random person because then i will i do think it will get me killed they'll be like oh look at this idiot he's talking to me there's always that possibility it's a risk but it's a it's a risk worth taking so you, you don't value my life very highly then do you ethan what i'm saying is go out there and get yourself killed okay yeah. as long as you make someone laugh along the way Actually, apropos that, I wanted to ask you today, like, um, about your, about like this starting in comedy. And I know it's obviously you haven't been on stage in a little while, but uh, like when, like what year did you start doing stand-up comedy? And do you have any like interesting stories from, from the start of your comedy career? Cause I, yeah, it's gotta uh, be a couple. Well, I started in 90, uh, 98, 99, I think, yeah, 98, I think, but I only did it briefly then and then I got very busy with my my singing and and got back to it I got back to it in around 20 at the end of 2012 um interesting stories about getting going in it um I don't know I do have I mean I I, I remember like that that feeling a lot of comedians can tell you that but that feeling of of writing a joke and getting up there and doing it for the first time in front of a crowd and getting a big laugh it's an incredible rush yeah so that feeling that, is uh, that interests me a lot actually so like like how would you describe that sensation because i imagine like that's got to be like one of your happiest memories in a way the first time you wrote something down in isolation just from your own head thinking this is really funny and then you say it on stage in front of a group of people and they find it really funny like there's got to be yeah. something transcendent about that 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're a, a wisecracking person like you are, you have miniature doses of that all day long. And so you're always cracking jokes and it's fun to get a laugh, but then it's just multiplied um, in a room full of people who are coming there and paying specifically to have you make them laugh. Um, and part of the joy and the excitement of it is, is that, you know, when you first starting out doing it there's a lot of fear um even if you've been on stage doing other stuff there's a special uh there's a special anxiety about going out there there's just a lot on the line it's like trying to pull off a a, a magic trick or like in the olympics i imagine it's like trying to pull off a a really intricate skating move yeah you're just or like trying a stepping it. into a boxing ring you might get punched in the face like you don't even know there's danger right and that's got to be part of the mixture of like what makes it exhilarating. Um, yeah, although, yeah, not that there's no, I don't think there's, for me at least, there wasn't fear of, 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 of harm or really of the, it's not even that Sorry. imagine. That's the thing that people imagine that there's a lot of aggression from the audience. And that's not really, that's not the thing so much. Mostly people uh, are there to laugh and they want you to do well and they want to have a good time. It's really just a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a battle with yourself. You want it, you want to succeed at this thing and you want to make people laugh. So, and, and it's also unlike other performing arts where it's very, um, it's very binary. You either get a laugh or you don't. There's yeah. not a lot of middle ground where you're like, oh, that went pretty well. Eh, you know if it went well or not. The laugh just, the laugh doesn't lie. Mm. Yeah. And then how is it different when like you see a lot of comedians, you know, I've also had Keith carry on. Uh, he does like a daily thing on, on uh, Twitter. You're doing your thing on Instagram. Like, do you find mm -hmm. like, what do you find different about that process? Like, is it, is it kind of like a, a shadow of performing live or is it just kind of its own special thing that, that has oh. kind of its own unique, uh, unique benefits well, well, and joys? Yeah, no, doing stand up on, on zoom, I've come to appreciate it and enjoy it. And it has a lot of the same features, the, the, the feeling of the laugh, you know what, it's, it's, it's great to tell your jokes on zoom and see and hear laughter that works too. The daily show I'm doing on Instagram is, is, is a chat, a chat show. So if I crack a joke and get a laugh, that's great. It's different, obviously, than stand up. But, um, yeah, um, at first the Zoom shows for for I think many many or most stand up comedians just felt like a torture and why even bother? But this thing has gone on so long. I just I know lots of comedians are doing it, and um, it's it's a great you know it's it's a great it's great. If we didn't have this, we'd have we'd have no performance. Except I guess some people are living in cities and performing outdoors when the weather's okay. Um, I just got a call about a gig in may it was going to be last may and now it's going to be this may but outdoors so that could be my first time back on stage in front of a live audience in a couple of months it's so like uh, shakespeare in the park but with uh with jokes about dating and whatnot yeah i can dig that no dating jokes though no dating jokes i i heard that like dave Chappelle back in the day used to just like you know, before before he was Dave Chappelle, he would just like be outside the comedy club, just be like, "Okay, everyone, gather around, gather around." I'm gonna, I'm then he would just do stand up like on the street, which I huh. I found like that must have been like the balls on that. That's incredible. Well, um, yeah, yeah, doing any any stand up or doing any performance for an audience that isn't asking for it that that's an extra level of uh, 
like being a street performer or a subway musician. Yeah. Well, I've actually been, a, I've been, a, I've done stripping on the street for people that didn't ask for the performance. And I, that was actually, it turned out really well. I got a lot of positive yeah. feedback. I mean, so That's there were some, some criticisms, you know, some charges, but. Well, you're here to tell about it. That's good. Okay. We'll see if I can knock off my, my microphone a third time. Um, let me also ask you, cause you know, we have another, another pretty tasty bit of kind of political theater going on here with um, the second impeachment trial, you know, the Joe Biden administration is a few weeks old here. I know you're not like necessarily like uh, exclusively interested in political commentary, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for some of your thoughts on kind of the current state of uh, the political oh. landscape in America. Um, big relief, still feeling the relief. Um, um, uh going to be short-lived because you can already see that the other side is willing to stand behind mm. this ex-president sex president yeah i stand behind him too yeah the ex-president and everything Sorry. that he's yeah he's uh anyway i'm not there... I, i'm not i'm not confident just because the other side remains uh mired in in their conspiracy theories and their fantasies they're really devoted to lying they are devoted to lying well i think they're so they're so entrenched in their bubble and like the messaging of that bubble is has just gotten so uh, so over the top um you know like i i feel like I, I i see people all the time who i viewed as like more just kind of middle of the road types and more and more i hear them saying you know stuff like anti-mask stuff or you know right. and it's like i i actually just think it's as simple as the the like if you're if you're if you're exposed to like right-wing facebook right-wing twitter anything like that the it's it's just like people are, are getting really radicalized by that like hardcore right now yeah um let's let's see i'm just going to try to remain hopeful and keep working for it. i mean the group that i did a bunch of fundraisers for and that i support is called mvp people should look them up it's called movement voter project movement voter project mvp mm -hmm. their website is movement.vote www.movement.vote mm. they raise money and then give it straight to grassroots organizations mm. in, in communities of color predominantly and they were instrumental in helping flip the senate in georgia wow okay and yeah super they important support, they support a lot of organizations that are doing the critical work to uh to save to save this country from mm. the demons on the right well i mean like i don't i don't want to sound like i'm being too like black pill like i i think we can convince people again to and i think we can achieve some level of like um more mature in intelligent discourse i'm just wondering kind of how we how we start down that path you know like like for example uh shutting down uh trump's twitter and shutting down parlor and whatnot like what's what comes after that in terms of actually restoring some kind of centralized or uh, some kind of commons where people are talking to each other rather than just reinforcing what what you think from from either side like because i think people are actually pretty easy to convince they're they're reluctant to admit that they're easy to convince and they won't they won't admit to being convinced right away but um like Ben Burgess had a great comment about this. He says, you know, when someone convinces him or makes a good argument counter to what he is saying, his first reaction is, oh, fuck, like this is annoying. But then a few weeks go by and, you know, you think about it a little bit more and, you know, you know what, they had a point there. And I feel like if we just start those conversations somehow, 
Because I, I really, I really don't like what I'm seeing in terms of just like people acting as though huge swaths of the population are just a write-off and they're too far gone. It's like if they, if they can be convinced of, uh, you know, QAnon. Well, maybe QAnon's a bad example because that's conspiracy theory territory, and there's probably a lot of other things going on there. But like, I just wonder. I wonder. If, maybe it's just like a media question. Like, I don't know. We just need to well, somehow break down these bubbles. You know. Yeah, I'm not as optimistic as you are that people are e easily convinced. Um, I, 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 I do write off a very large part of the population. Um, they're they're deep in this conspiracy stuff, and um, and even if it's not conspiracy stuff, they've spent decades in this uh, bubble of being told that that debt is terrible and that everyone needs to tighten their belts and the government should be smaller. That whole myth, um, mm. it's still there and it still controls a lot of, a lot of people's, uh, thinking, um, even when it hurts them directly they're they embrace it. So I don't have any answers. Sorry. That's okay. I'll, uh, I'll expect answers within the hour. Um, and okay. otherwise, if not, then the uh, the termination unit will be coming by. I recently I did a Terminator double bill last night, so the Terminator's on my mind too. Oh, I assume right. people know about that. They don't need me to recommend the Terminator. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I've heard of it. No, I, I love that. that <laughs> I don't know anything about about uh, politics uh, per se. I just would say uh, movement dot vote movement dot vote. Give them a dollar. Look at look at what they do. And look at some of the organizations they support. That's what I would say. For sure. Um, well, I feel like I've depressed you. We can probably start the wind down procedure. I don't know if you have another another uh, polar bear swim you got to do. I'm kind of jealous that you're getting to do that every day because that's like exactly the kind of thing I want to get set up. Oh, but, yeah. Um, sometime soon. Yeah, I did my swim earlier. I just watch when high tide is. I go at high tide because the bay is sort of empty of water at low tide. So how far away are you from the water itself, like uh -oh. at your place? Yeah, the bay is uh, is 1.2 miles away, and the, the ocean is about three miles away. So we're on this thin little peninsula. But I generally don't go in at the ocean because it's a little colder and a little rougher. So it's mm. just the bay. It's the bay. Yeah. Mm. Um, the water is 39 degrees. Right. Days, which is about as low as it gets in the year yeah it's remarkable what just like that 30 seconds will do fuck no i'm craving that i need, I need to stop thinking about my job applications and go and go and refresh yeah do it man <sighs> oh valentine's day show if this i don't know when this is coming oh, out uh, it'll be out in a couple of days well if someone it wants to check out the valentine's day show from the comic strip i'm on that show the comic strip is on the upper east side in new york city the mm -hmm. comic strip valentine's day comedy show i'm on the bill check Fucking it out a. Fucking a. So, do you come out on stage in like a giant, like heart-shaped box or something like that, or do you jump out of cake? I wasn't gonna, but that's a great idea. So yes, I will. Do you do you passively aggressively get angry at your partner and say this is the worst Valentine's Day dinner I've ever had? <laughs> yeah, I take it out. I take it out on my partner the whole time, the whole yeah. act about her. Any anytime there's any kind of pressure to have fun, you know, New Year's Eve, birthdays, anniversaries. I think it's really important to like let the hostility come to the surface. <laughs> It's as good I, may, as I may be speaking from experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just remind people where they can find you on Instagram and, and Twitter. And oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you so, so much. I, I always always have a lot of fun when we talk. So likewise, um, we 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 covered everything. Um, yeah. 
So I'm Ethan Hershenfeld, Ethan Hershenfeld, and uh, you can find me at, at eHershenfeld on Instagram. Um, and, and then uh, uh, David Feldman Show on uh, Mondays oh, yeah. and Thursdays. Yeah, Thursdays at 7 p.m. And uh, weekdays at noon, my Instagram live show, that's weekdays at noon Eastern. Mm-hmm. And um, Red Notice, that's the movie. It's coming out this later this year. Look for me in that movie, Red Notice on Netflix. Awesome. And, is uh, that um, red notice? Isn't that like a spycraft term about like uh, an order to go and like murder someone or something like that? Isn't that what a red notice is? Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I didn't do a lot of research. Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm looking it up. No, I don't see that. I just see the name of the film. But you, you might know more about. I'm not into spy. I'm, I'm not a spy guy. I don't know. I've never read a John Le Carré thing in my life. I want to because I loved hearing him interviewed. Um, but, but yeah, maybe it is. Anyway, red notice. E. Hershenfeld or ethanhershenfeld.com. You can see all, all, all my stuff and uh, get the album, Thug Thug Jew. Totally. I was just going to say, I mean, yeah. it's out. Thug Thug Jew. Oh, and I'll also say uh, for you night rulers out there, th- uh, first of all, thank you so much to Alex and Nicholas for becoming patrons. It's much appreciated. I think. Thank uh, you, Alex. Released... Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you. You are the next contestant on the Night Rule podcast. Um, I released a new mixtape for patrons yesterday. So hopefully people are tapping their toes to that. Very nice. Um, we have a couple of premium episodes up there. The Ben Burgess episode where we talk a lot about the Twilight Zone. And then my former English professor came on, um, Ethan, and we talked about uh, literary criticism, which is a super interesting episode. She also said, for the record, Isaac was, quote, a really good student. So wow. we all know I have credentials now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was shocked I to hear it myself. Yeah, print that, frame it, put it on the wall behind you. That's a credential. Oh, I'm going to tattoo it on my face. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. dude. Well, so so fun talking to you and enjoy the rest Thank of your day you. and have a great weekend and a happy Valentine's and, uh, and keep the skinny dipping up. Thanks. Thanks for the fun. Yeah.